Hi everyone, I hope you're all doing so well. I hope you've all had a good week so far and welcome back to the Criminal Makeup Podcast. Each episode, we dive into the minds of some of the worst criminals in history. And today we're going to be talking about Richard Chase, AKA the Vampire of Sacramento. And uh, given that name, I think it's pretty clear that today is going to be a gory one. So Richard Chase got the name the Vampire of Sacramento for good reason. He was absolutely obsessed with blood. He fully believed that in order to keep himself alive, he needed to drink blood. And the things that he did in order to get this blood are just, oh my God, not good at all. Some of the things that Richard did during the time he was active are truly disturbing. And I will say this, I can't look at bunny rabbits the same ever since this case. And unfortunately, because of this blood obsession, Richard Chase went on to become one of the most infamous spree killers California has ever seen. But I've got to warn you, this case is gory. If you do not like blood, if you do not like the discussions of blood, this one is not for you. And I truly stress that. This case is going to be pretty graphic and it also does contain animal abuse. So I just needed to warn you all before we get into this episode. This is not going to be a nice one to listen to. And I don't know what you're doing right now, but if you're eating probably best stop right now, stop listening to this episode, especially if you are possibly drinking a smoothie. This is your warning right now, please stop. Okay, so with all of that being said, let's dive into Richard Chase, the Vampire of Sacramento. So Richard Chase was born on the 23rd of May, 1950, making him a Gemini. He was born and raised in Sacramento, California, and this is where his absolutely horrific crimes take place, obviously because he's known as the Vampire of Sacramento. And Richard was raised in quite a strict household, and his father was pretty abusive. He would beat Richard as a form of punishment. And I saw in like a couple of documentaries that I watched on this that, oh, it was just a normal, typical 1950s household. And I was just like, it's abuse. <laughs> I don't care when it happened. I don't care if parenting was different in 1950s. Stop trying to normalize abuse. Richard also displayed three alarming traits as a child. Can anyone guess what they are? Hmm, maybe the McDonald triad. And if you don't know the traits of the McDonald triad, it's basically just bedwetting, starting fires, and harming, torturing animals. And Richard displayed all three of these traits. And it's said that if you even just display two of these traits, any combination of two, you are more predispositioned to become a serial killer. So the fact that he displayed all three, not a good sign. And he was displaying all three of these as well by the age of 10. And when you are 10 years old, you know that harming animals is wrong. And when Richard moved into his teenage years, he did start to experiment a little bit with drugs and alcohol. And the drugs that he started to take were speed, LSD, he used to smoke marijuana as well. And he would abuse both alcohol and drugs. He did become addicted. Despite all of his 
addictions and also his serial killer traits, he was able to maintain quite a good social life. It's reported that he had quite a few girlfriends when he was in high school. However, there was one thing that Richard felt got in the way of his relationships with his girlfriends when he was in high school, and that is that he was completely impotent. And Richard just felt that this made it hard for him to develop serious relationships with his girlfriends. And he did feel quite humiliated by this issue. And I just feel like this is a Criminal Minds episode already. Like, trust me, if there is ever a case that I have done that is truly just a Criminal Minds case for any of my Criminal Minds fans out there, it's this one. How many times do they say that a serial killer is impotent? Richard did go to a psychiatrist to discuss his impotence and the psychiatrist said that it's likely that it's being caused by suppressed rage, which um, uh, I suppose is kind of true but we'll find out about that later on in the video. But Richard was not happy with this diagnosis. It wasn't really a diagnosis, but he wasn't happy with this answer. And he turned to medical books himself. He poured over medical books. He wanted to learn everything because he thought that he could cure himself kind of like Rock Terrio. <laughs> he just felt that he could get better answers like doing it all himself than going to a professional. And then Richard, don't know how he came across this, I don't exactly know how he came to this conclusion, but he came to the conclusion that he was struggling to maintain an erection because he didn't have enough blood in his body. And unfortunately, this is when Richard's lifelong obsession with blood started. So shortly after graduating high school, Richard did move into an apartment with some of his friends. I know, he has friends. Sometimes it's baffling, like what he goes on and does. I don't know how he was able to maintain like, like a semi-normal lifestyle. And during this time when he was living with his friends, his addiction to drugs and alcohol got even worse. I assume it was because he was no longer living with his parents and he had a little bit more freedom. However, tensions did start to rise between Richard and his roommate, his friends, because of one issue. Richard liked to walk around naked. Yep, that's right. Richard liked to walk around naked. He did not like to wear clothes. His roommates were like, Richard, please put some clothes on. But Richard was like, no, I want to walk around naked. And his friends were just like, yeah, this is too much. And at first the roommates tried to kick Richard out of the apartment because they didn't want to leave. But Richard refused to go. And in the end, all of the roommates of Richard moved out of the apartment and left Richard in the apartment on his own. But of course, Richard now living in this apartment on his own, he could no longer afford the rent on his own. So he did end up moving back in with his parents and he is 21 at this point. And it was around this time that Richard started to become very, very paranoid. about pretty much everything but I would say it was mainly about his body and his health because not only did he think that he didn't have enough blood in his body he also thought that his heart would often stop beating and Richard thinking that his heart was not beating led him to believe that someone had stolen his pulmonary artery yeah he was paranoid that someone had stolen that main artery, you don't really know what it is. <laughs> it's like main artery from the heart to the lungs, I think. How would someone steal that? But regardless, he thought that someone had. He also thought he was lacking in vitamin C. And Richard, 
who doesn't think that sometimes? I know I sometimes think that I'm lacking in vitamin C, but Richard thought, you know what? To fix this, I'm gonna get an orange and hold it to my head. And he believed that holding this orange to his head, his brain would absorb the vitamin C and it would get to his brain quicker. Mm -hmm. He also, there's a lot of things, isn't there? He also thought that the bones in his skull were moving around. He also thought that he was growing bones out of the back of his head as well. So of course he thought to monitor this, he must shave his head because that way he'll be able to see all the bones and keep an eye on the situation. And even though Richard had kind of lost faith in the medical profession, he actually did go and see quite a few doctors to tell the doctors all of these problems. And the doctors that he would just see would always just diagnose him as a hypochondriac which he quite clearly is, I'm not disputing that. But then the doctors would just send him on his way and do nothing about this. And it's just like, if someone is coming to you and saying all of these problems that are really far-fetched, pretty much impossible to happen. Surely as a doctor, as anyone really, you should be able to see that this person is clearly struggling with their mental health, struggling in some way, and surely they need a little bit of a better diagnosis than that, but also they need help. I just think that more could have been done at this point to maybe prevent what is going to happen. Richard had also started to become quite paranoid about the people around him. So remember, he's moved back in with his parents at this point, and he convinced himself that his mother was poisoning him. And Richard would not trust any of the food that his mom had prepared for him. He would not eat anything. And eventually Richard's dad became absolutely sick and tired of Richard's paranoid behavior. He just didn't know like what to do, like to fix this problem. So what did he do? He bought an apartment and forced Richard to move out of the house and live in this apartment on his own. Cause that's gonna solve everything, isn't it? It basically is just sweeping everything under the rug, burying your head in the sand. But of course, this did not solve anything, did it? If anything, it made everything a lot worse because now Richard is back living on his own. He has no one telling him what to do, no one looking over his shoulder, maybe judging him for what he's doing. And remember I said that Richard is obsessed with blood. I mean, how can you forget that on a vampire case? Well, this is where it starts to become apparent. And I've got to warn you from this moment on, the things that we are going to hear, not pretty. So once Richard was alone in the apartment, he would capture, kill, and disembowel rabbits. He would then drink the blood of the rabbit, and then he would eat the rabbit raw. And if you're eating Please stop just for a second. Following all of this killing, capturing, disembowing, eating and drinking, he would then take the organs of the rabbit, put them in a blender. He would also put Coca-Cola in the blender as well. He would blend it all together. He would make himself a little rabbit organ smoothie and he would proceed to drink it, which, uh, oh my God. When I was actually watching a documentary on this, I was drinking a smoothie, <laughs> not a good idea. And it's just really disturbing to just even think about someone doing that. But Richard truly believed that he had a legitimate reason for doing all of this. So of course he did believe that he didn't have enough blood in his body, but he also thought that the blood he did have in his body was turning to powder. And the only way to prevent this from happening was to drink the blood of animals. He also believed that eating the rabbits raw and eating the organs of the rabbits as well would stop his heart shrinking. So things have obviously 
escalated a lot since he has moved out. And things managed to go on like this for two to three years. Richard was capturing and killing rabbits, drinking their blood, eating them raw, making his little smoothies. He was still living on his own in his apartment. He was still abusing drugs and alcohol until finally things had escalated so much that he was committed to a psychiatric hospital for treatment. And he was committed after he had fallen ill. His dad had taken him to the hospital and it was found that he had blood poisoning. And how did he get blood poisoning? Because it was found that he had injected rabbit's blood into his veins. So once the hospital staff realized this, they were like, okay, this is, this is not right. He needs to get some help. And they immediately involuntarily committed him to a psychiatric hospital. And this was in 1975. Richard is 25 at this point. And it didn't take long for Richard to gain a nickname in this hospital. And what was his nickname, you ask? Oh, it was Dracula. And he was obviously given this nickname because he had an obsessive fixation with blood. But what gets me, can you believe that the hospital staff were the ones that gave him this nickname? But why are the hospital staff giving him a nickname of Dracula? First of all, that tells me that they know exactly what he's like. So keep that in mind. Richard was once found by a member of staff with blood smeared all over his face. And it was discovered that Richard had captured two birds from his window. Don't really know how he did that. And then once he had captured these birds, he snapped their neck and then he drank their blood. Okay, this next bit is about dogs, so Oh, sorry. The hospital also had therapy dogs. And obviously the therapy dogs would come in, visit the patients, blah, blah, blah. Happy time. Clearly when they took the dog in to visit Richard, which first of all, why would they do that? Especially after the bird thing. But Richard had somehow managed to steal syringes from somewhere. Again, why is this happening? And he would steal the syringes so he could extract blood from the therapy dogs and then drink it. So thankfully he didn't kill these dogs, but still, oh my God, no. It's just like, how was he able to get away with this? I just, I just don't understand. And whilst he was in the hospital, Richard was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia and he went through various different medications and treatments to try and improve his condition. And then a year later, Richard was deemed no longer a threat to society or himself and he was released. I'm literally flabbergasted by this because it's like, why? The hospital staff have given him the nickname Dracula. He's killed two birds. He's found with blood all over his face. He's extracting blood from therapy dogs. It's how? How was he deemed no longer a threat? How, how was he released? And what did Richard's parents do as soon as he was discharged? They sent him back to live in that apartment on his own. And to be honest, it kind of just seems to me anyway that Richard's parents just don't want to deal with him. They just want to send him off, put him over there, like outside, out of mind. At this point as well, Richard's parents were separated. Don't quite know when they separated, but they did. And then for some reason, I really don't understand this. I, I have no explanation. But Richard's mom all of a sudden decided that her son didn't need to be on medication anymore. I'm just like, 
how did you figure that out? And I couldn't find a concrete answer as to why she did this. I don't know if she was embarrassed about her son being on medication. Maybe she didn't believe in medication. Or maybe she thought that the medication was making him worse. Obviously, he does have a drug addiction as well. Maybe she was like worried about that. I, I, I honestly don't know. It seems to me that if you want to come off medication and you are someone like Richard, maybe you should speak to a medical professional about that before deciding. But she didn't. And she just left Richard to his own devices, which it's never going to end well, is it? Things go even more downhill from here. Richard completely lost interest in caring for himself. He stopped washing, he stopped shaving, he stopped brushing his teeth. He also lost a lot of weight. He wasn't really eating apart from his rabbits and smoothies and stuff. And his little habit of capturing and killing, drinking the blood and eating the raw meat of animals just got even worse. So as we know, he liked to capture and kill rabbits. Well, this escalated to cats and dogs. Richard would go around his neighborhood and steal the pets of his neighbors, which he would then take home, drink the blood and eat the raw meat. There was even one occasion where Richard phoned up one of his neighbors. He had stolen this neighbor's dog and he phoned up this neighbor and proceeded to tell the neighbor all of the horrific things that he had done to this person's dog. And then one day Richard turned up at his mom's house. His mom opened the door and Richard was stood there with a dead cat. He then threw the cat on the floor. He knelt down and he started to rip open the cat with his bare hands. He then put his hands inside the cat and he proceeded to smear blood all over his face. He was also screaming while he was doing this. So Clearly the neighbors were also aware of what was going on. And what did his mom do? She just stood there, watched the whole thing. And then after it was done, she just closed the door on him. I'm sorry, just how? His mom even had a pet cat herself. So how can she watch him do that? So as we know, Richard likes to start fires. He likes to harm and abuse and kill animals. And now he's moving on to his next obsession, which is guns. He started to purchase several handguns, which he used to practice with obsessively. I don't even want to think about what he may have used as targets. However, Richard's use of guns didn't come onto the radar of the police until 1977. And this was in August. Police were on patrol in the Nevada desert and they were near the Pyramid Lake and they came across an abandoned car that was just like stuck in the sand. So the police thought this was a little bit suspicious. They checked it out and oh my god, you'll never believe what they found in the car. So first of all, the car was covered, like the inside was covered in blood. There was some men's clothes also in the car alongside two rifles and then there was a bucket. It's never a good sign when there's a bucket and this bucket was filled with blood and what looked like an organ inside the bucket and the organ looked like a liver. And you don't exactly come across a bucket full of blood and liver, do you, every day? So the police were like, what the actual hell? So they started to look around because there was obviously no one in the car and they wanted to know who the hell this bloody car belonged to. And that is when they saw a figure moving by the lake. And who is it? You guessed it. Richard Chase. And I don't think they were prepared for what they saw because Richard was naked. We know he doesn't like to put clothes on and he was just running around. He was also covered in blood. So the officers went after Richard. Richard obviously tried to run away, but thankfully the police 
got him and pinned him down and arrested him. Hats off to those police officers because that would not have been a very nice or easy task, let's just say. So Richard was taken down to the police station. He was interviewed because obviously they wanted to know what the hell was in this bucket and where did it come from. And obviously the main thing that they wanted to know was is this blood, is this liver from a human? But it was determined that the blood and the liver belonged to a cow. And Richard had used the rifle to shoot the cow before draining the cow of its blood and removing the liver. And unbelievably, Richard was released. <laughs> it's like, what? The police didn't think that this was worth prosecuting him over. It's, it's unbelievable. You can't make this stuff up. So unfortunately, Richard was released, even though he shouldn't have been. Right there and then we could have stopped the story because unfortunately after this incident Richard moved his attention to humans. Now this has actually become quite a common theme and I never realized it before making these videos but killers are obsessed with other killers and Richard was no different. He became obsessed with the hillside stranglers or at the time they just thought he was a hillside strangler but we know it was two people now. And the Hillside Stranglers were operating in 1977, so around this time. And yeah, he was obsessed with them. He followed the news story very closely. I don't know if he got any inspiration from them for the kind of crimes that he committed. I don't know, but I just thought it was interesting that he became almost obsessed with them. Also, side note, this is the exact same time period where Rodney Alcala, aka the dating game killer, is in operation as well in California, not a good time to be in California. So Richard's first attempted murder happened on the 27th of December, 1977. He decided to get in his car and just drive around Sacramento, which Sacramento is obviously the area that he was born and raised. He knows it very well and it does become his hunting ground. So he was just driving around. He was being very nosy. He was looking into people's homes until eventually he saw a woman who was just in her kitchen. Her name was Dorothy Polinsky. And Dorothy was just inside her home. She was stood at her kitchen sink. She was just washing dishes. Of course, this doesn't matter to Richard, does it? So he pulled out his gun and he fired a shot at Dorothy. He stayed in the car when he did this. He never got out of the car and the bullet went through the kitchen window missed Dorothy's head by literally an inch. She felt the bullet go past her head. And when she looked around, she saw a bullet lodged in one of her kitchen cabinets. And Richard just drove off. He knew that he hadn't killed Dorothy and Dorothy was lucky to be alive. And oh my God, I couldn't even imagine that. Like, obviously all murder is terrifying and everything, but can you imagine something that we all do, stood at the kitchen sink, and someone fires a shot at you. So Richard's first attempt at murder had failed, but tragically his second attempt at murder was successful. And this second attempt literally took place two days after the first attempt. So barely any cool down period. And Richard is actually classed as a spree killer, not a serial killer because he doesn't really have much of a cool down period and the kills happen over quite a short space of time. On the 29th of December, 1977, Richard came across Ambrose Griffin. He was 51 years old. He was an engineer and a father of two. And all he was doing was helping his wife unload shopping from the car. When Richard drove past, his wife then heard two loud bangs. She turned around and she saw her husband fall to the ground. Richard had fired two shots. The first one had missed, but the second shot hit Ambrose directly in the chest. And tragically, this wound was fatal. And then Richard drove off. 
No one even saw him. The police investigating this murder had absolutely no idea who could be behind this because it's really hard to catch a killer when they are killing strangers, when they are doing it like Richard was, like a drive-by shooting. All they knew was that the bullets that were fired at Ambrose came from the same gun that had fired at Dorothy. And it has been reported that the attempted murder of Dorothy and the murder of Ambrose was essentially just a practice run for Richard. He basically just wanted to see if he could kill humans. He didn't have any intention of doing any sadistic acts to them, which is obviously what we're gonna get to. So Richard has gotten away with this murder and the attempted murder, and unfortunately it doesn't take him long to murder again. However, before this happens, cannot believe I'm saying this, Richard has a short stay in an institution for his schizophrenia. I just feel like Richard is like in and out of institutions, he's coming on the police radar. How is no one able to stop him from doing this? He only stays there for a few days, so once he's released, he's back on the streets of Sacramento. He is still killing animals and drinking their blood and eating them raw and these little smoothies. There are so many things that happen in this case that I'm just like, why did you not report this? So a neighbor did see Richard repeatedly bringing cats and dogs into his home. And then the neighbor never saw those cats and dogs again. Why aren't you reporting this? So Richard continues on stealing people's pets to kill and drink their blood, but he also goes to pet stores to buy pets as well. And I just think if his mom reported him, if the neighbor reported him, if the original hospital that he went to where he killed those two birds and he was extracting blood from the therapy dogs, if people were just reporting all of this, Surely he should have gone on like a register to not allow him to buy pets and stuff like that. People infuriate me. Richard also went on a spree of breaking into people's homes with no interest of robbing the house, nothing. He just wanted to see if he could do it. And this happened so often that Sacramento were literally in fear of this man this crazy man breaking into people's homes. Richard would be seen walking into people's gardens, peering into windows. And this is what just doesn't make sense to me because Richard is literally making no attempt at covering his face, at hiding his identity. It's like, why aren't people reporting this? Something else that Richard would do is he would walk up to the front door of people's homes and he would test to see if the door was unlocked. And if the door was unlocked, he would see that as an invitation for him to go inside. But if the door was locked, he would walk away. And as well as the blood drinking, this little trait of him not entering a home if the door was locked also added to his name, the Vampire of Sacramento. One woman called Jean Layton saw Richard walk up to her front door and test to see if it was locked or unlocked. And thankfully her door was locked. So Richard just walked away but she was just watching all of this. And oh my God, can you imagine? And again, it is the seventies and it was a lot more common for people to leave their doors unlocked. Like my nan has told me many times that she used to leave her front door unlocked and she would go to bed with her door unlocked. And this was when she used to live in the US in the sixties. And I imagine it was kind of the same in the seventies as well of people just leaving their doors open. And I'm just like, I cannot like, my door is locked all the time. And then an even more terrifying incident happened. So a young couple, Robert and Barbara Edwards, returned home and they walked into the house and they found Richard Chase 
just stood there. They had been out shopping and unfortunately they had left their door unlocked and Richard took this as a sign of him being welcome and when the couple returned home they found Richard there and thankfully he just ran off. However the sight in the house like was horrible. He had completely trash the house. But this was not the worst part. So Robert and Barbara did have an infant child and Richard had decided to urinate in one of the drawers that had the infant's clothes in and he also decided to defecate on the infant's bed. And this is all just completely disorganized. I mean, everything that Richard does, it's always different. He doesn't follow like the same pattern apart from like the killing the animals and drinking their blood. But all of his behavior towards humans, like the breaking in, like sometimes he's urinating and defecating. Sometimes he's shooting people in a drive-by. And obviously we are gonna get onto some more stuff. It's like, it's always different. It seems to me that Richard doesn't even know what his MO is right now. And he's just experimenting with different things and just trying out what's gonna get him off if you know what I mean. So Richard's crazy behavior through Sacramento went on for a couple of weeks in January 1978 until very tragically Richard did go on to murder again. On the 23rd of January 1978, Richard approached the house of Teresa Wallen. Teresa was in the middle of taking out the garbage and she left her front door unlocked. And we all know if Richard comes across an unlocked door, he sees this as an invitation to go inside. So Teresa went back into the house and Richard was obviously there. He shot Teresa three times and these wounds were fatal. She died instantly. And what comes next is absolutely disgusting. It's not nice to hear. It's definitely not nice for me to say. Richard is definitely escalating. He is getting more sadistic. Unfortunately, when it came to Teresa, it seemed like he finally found what was going to get him off. He used a knife to cut open Teresa's body. He removed some of her organs. He sliced off one of her nipples, which, oh God, that just makes me go all funny. He then picked up an empty yogurt container that he just got out of Teresa's bin, I assume. And he filled up the yogurt container with Teresa's blood and then he drank it. And I don't know why, but just the fact that he puts it in a yogurt container that just seems like, oh God, just so much worse to me. Like, obviously it's not. Oh God, it just, oh God, it makes me go like this. Oh, he then got a bucket. And like I said, it's never a good sign when there's a bucket involved. He filled up the bucket with Teresa's blood. He then took the bucket, poured the blood into the bath, and he proceeded to bathe in Teresa's blood. And then, oh God, this next bit. So after he finished his blood bath, he went outside, he found some dog feces, and then he put the dog feces into Teresa's mouth. He clearly wants to humiliate the body. He clearly wants to humiliate Teresa. He wants his power and his dominance. And I don't know why he thinks putting feces into her mouth is doing that, but that's what he says to me anyway. I didn't read that anywhere, but it just seems to me that Richard wants to completely humiliate Teresa and just leave her in the worst, most disrespectful state possible. That's all I can think of why he did the dog feces. Teresa's husband came home and found her like that. And um, what makes all of that a million times worse is that Teresa was three months pregnant. It was also found that after Richard had killed Teresa, he had sex with Teresa. So he's also a necrophiliac. And you're probably wondering, oh, but I thought he was impotent. Like, uh, how does that work? Like I said, I think Richard has finally found 
the thing that clearly turns him off, which was violent acts and murder. He's a sadist, isn't he? So following the murder of Teresa, Richard fled the scene and yet again, he's not caught. Richard's spree would soon be coming to an end. However, not before he commits one last absolutely horrific crime. So this is on the 27th of January, 1978, only four days after the murder of Teresa. Like I said, he's a spree killer. There's barely any cool down period. And with killers like this, it's only going to escalate the cool off period, even though there barely is one it's going to become less and less each time. So four days after the murder of Teresa, Richard enters the home of 38-year-old Evelyn Moroth. And at the time, Evelyn was home with her six-year-old son, Jason, her 22-month-old nephew, David, and also her neighbor, Dan Meredith, who had come to visit. And when Richard entered the house, Evelyn was currently upstairs. She was having a bath. So Richard first came across Dan, the neighbor. Richard instantly shot Dan at point blank range, killing him instantly. Evelyn's six-year-old son, Jason, obviously heard this. I don't know if he saw this, but he fled upstairs to his mom. But tragically, before he made it to his mom, Richard got to him first. Richard also shot Jason and Jason died instantly. Richard then entered the bathroom where Evelyn was in the bath. He shot her in the head and she died instantly. He then dragged her body to her bedroom and he sodomized her as well as drinking her blood directly from a few incisions from the back of her neck. He stabbed her in many locations, which caused a lot of blood to pool in her abdominal. He then sliced open her stomach and drained her blood into a bucket. He then drank all of her blood. It was later found that Evelyn's body was covered in a large amount of semen and this indicated an unusual amount of ejaculations. Like I said, it seems like he's found what gets him off. And once the police arrived at the scene, obviously they were greeted with this absolutely horrific scene and very tragically 22 month old David was nowhere to be found. So at this point the police need to find who did this? Obviously they wanna find who did it anyway, but it's even more important now to find this person as quickly as possible because they need to find little David. And it turns out that the FBI were actually working on this case. I know, I told you, it was like a Criminal Minds episode. A team of profilers were called in after the murder of Teresa to put together a profile of the person that was obviously doing all of this. And the profilers put together a profile and their profile of the killer was that they would be tall, possibly malnourished, which to be honest, I don't think is a hard conclusion to come to because of the fact that he's consuming so much blood. They also said that he would be a loner, physically unclean, and that they would continue to kill until they were caught. And after the mass murder in Evelyn's house, the profilers realized, okay, we need to release this profile to the public because we need help here. So they released the profile to the public and it worked. A woman named Nancy Holden came forward and said, I know this guy, Richard Chase, I went to school with him and he fits the profile perfectly. So the day after the murders of Evelyn, Dan and Jason, the police tracked down his apartment. They waited outside for him to finally leave. He did leave. Richard was covered in blood as usual and the police finally arrested him. And the police of course went inside his apartment and oh my God, I do not think they were prepared for what they found. The walls, the floor, the ceiling, 
everything, and I mean literally everything, was covered in blood. And the kitchen was even worse. I mean, of course it was. We all know about his smoothies, all of the cutlery, plates, cups, pretty much every utensil, everything in the kitchen had blood on it. They also found his blender for his smoothies. And let's just say, Richard never cleaned that blender. <laughs> so there was like leftover blood and organs and oh my God, can you imagine the smell? Apparently there was even rotting organs left at the bottom of the blender. Police found several animal parts just wrapped in tin foil and on the top of the fridge, oh God, I hate saying this, were several pet collars. Oh God, he really is a dick, isn't he? He's definitely got a very good name, Richard. Definitely a dick. And when they opened the fridge, this is when they found several of Teresa and Evelyn's organs. And in the fridge as well, very sadly, this is when they also found the body parts of baby David. They also found part of David's body in an abandoned cardboard box as well. That was at a different time, but oh, it's just horrible. And I don't know when he killed David. He probably killed David at the scene. And this is really horrible to think about, but because he was only 22 months old, he was probably easier to transport than an adult body. And that's probably the only reason why he took David. So when I first started to research this case, I just thought that Richard was a sadistic killer. I did not think that he was sexually motivated. But now that I know all of the details, he is 100% sexually motivated. I mean, pretty much all of this started because he couldn't get it up. But if you just look at the crimes that he has committed, when he kills women, he kills them in such a sadistic way. He tears them open, he takes their organs, he drinks their blood. But when he kills men, he just shoots them. It's like, that's not what his sexual preference is. He only ever drank blood from women and obviously animals and I, I don't know if he drank the blood of baby David. I, I don't know. I don't know what he did with David. That is what really baffles me about this whole thing because his sexual preference is clearly women. So I, I can't explain David. I, I can't, I honestly can't explain it. So Richard Chase is a disorganized sexual sadist which is just truly terrifying. Richard went to trial in 1979 and the prosecution were trying to get the death penalty. However, the defense wanted second degree murder based on the defense of insanity. They basically just wanted to avoid the death penalty. So basically the trial came down to whether Richard was sane or not and whether the jury thought that his crimes were premeditated or not. Just wanna give my little opinion here. Uh, I think it is completely clear, 100%, that these crimes were premeditated. I'm sorry, but you cannot shoot someone at point blank range and not intend to kill them. I think sometimes it can be a little bit confusing on what like premeditation actually means. I think some people think that you literally have to be planning for days or weeks or months the murder for it to be premeditated. And that's just simply not the case. Like premeditation can happen literally seconds before the murder. As long as you intend to kill them, it's first degree or premeditated. I mean, clearly Richard is suffering with his mental health. I don't think anyone is disputing that, but there is a difference between that and then knowing what you're doing is right or wrong. I mean, I think 
This is my opinion. This may be a little bit controversial. I don't know. But I think it's really rare for someone to be truly insane to the point that they don't know what they're doing is wrong. In the end though, the jury clearly agree with me because they thought that he was sane and they found him guilty on six counts of first degree murder and he was sentenced to death by the gas chamber. So once he was in prison, a lot of the inmates were actually scared of him. They found out what he had done and what he was capable of and they were scared of him. And because of this, quite a lot of them used to taunt him and try to convince him to commit suicide. And then on the 28th of December, 1980, Richard Chase was found dead in his cell. It was found that he had stopped taking his medication and he was storing it and he died of an overdose. And that brings us to the end of the episode of Richard Chase, the Vampire of Sacramento. And there are no updates on this episode, so I think we'll end the episode there. So thank you so much, everyone, for listening today. Subscribe or follow to make sure you never miss an episode of The Criminal Makeup, and I would love it if you could leave a review. In the meantime, if you've been affected by any of the themes in this episode, please take the time to look at the description for this episode for some helpful resources. Special thanks to my producers at Audio Boom Studios, and I'll see you all in the next one one.